Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Astros Baseball. Today I'm joined by Jake Sudrath. Jake, what's up, buddy? Not too much. How's it going? Uh, So I wanted to bring you on here today to talk about the uh, Texas Collegiate League. I had seen someone tag you on it or something, and I had no idea you were even on it. I heard about it. Uh, So do you know how the league got started? So the league's actually been around for a few years now. Um, But there were only a handful of teams, like four or five teams in it. Um, But this year, since some of the top, some of the most prominent leagues around the country, like for collegiate leagues, uh, got shut down. So, like, you had the Cape Cod League got shut down. Um, handful of leagues all around the country got shut down. Um, the A bunch of the minor league teams that didn't have a season this year decided to use their stadiums and join the Texas Collegiate League. So, the Amarillo Sod Poodles, Frisco Rough Riders, uh, the Tulsa Drillers, San Antonio Missions, um, and I think there are a couple more that just decided to uh, to join along with them and basically host uh, collegiate summer teams for a lot of the kids that should have been playing in those other leagues. Oh, okay, I thought it was something. I, I remember them shutting down minor league baseball uh, for this season, and then all of a sudden that's when I started seeing the Texas Collegiate League. And maybe I saw it mostly because – there's a team in Round Rock, mm-hmm. and I and I follow them. So I guess they were the Round Rock Harry Men. Yep. And so, uh, who, what team did you play for? Somewhere in Amarillo, right? Yeah, I was on the uh, the Amarillo Sod Squad. Sod Squad is that the name of the minor league team there? Or do they change the names up like the Harry Men did? The the minor league team is the Sod Poodles. Oh, okay. No idea what that means. Uh, so let me ask you this. How did you end up in the league? Um, so How'd really, that happen? I was, I was just kind of training, and then uh, my college coach asked me if I wanted to go throw. said, could if you want to, but uh, they had connections with the school just being 15 minutes down the road. And I thought it'd be nice to, to get out there and actually play baseball again. So you were uh, – 
The last time we talked, you were what BYU and then Arizona State. Oh no, Florida State. I get the yep. two confused. Uh, but you've actually switched schools again, right? To Amarillo West or something. To uh, to West Texas A and M. West Texas A and M, and that is over in the Amarillo area. So that's how you kind of got hooked up with the Sod Squad, right? So you went and tried out for them or something, and they uh, took you, or did you just sign up and they needed all the arms they could get? Uh, so the way that like the way that collegiate summer teams usually work is usually, I mean, there is no tryout. You just kind of basically your college coaches will have to just vouch for you, and like the college coaches kind of set you up with the rosters. All right, so. Let's talk about this. One thing I noticed, because there's a team here in San Antonio, and they, uh, like when you go on the website to buy tickets, it actually shows you, you know, where you can sit. And they had, you know, two seats here and four seats here. Uh, so they allowed fans of all the different stadiums that you went to? Uh, yeah, so every stadium that we played at allowed fans. Um we were supposed to have a series in Frisco, but the Frisco series, um, I think one of their like team like staff members uh, ended up uh, getting COVID. So they at first were like, "All right, we're not going to allow fans," and they just said they just ended up being a road only team. But uh, all the other teams in the league, every single one of them allowed fans. Oh, that's cool. I never tried to go over here because um, just really scared i'm not as scared to get covid for myself even though you know i am almost 50 so you know i don't know how, what kind of a battle i'd have with it but i i can't afford to bring that stuff home with me uh but i i wanted to go it looked like it was pretty safe did what other what borders did they have any like uh was it just spaced out or was there anything separating them or is it is just separation uh, so it was separation, and then so I don't know exactly how like the other stadiums were or whatever, um, but I know that at our stadium you had to wear a mask into the stadium until you got to your seat, um, and then once you were at your seat, you could take it off. Okay, yeah, I remember seeing the rules. It was uh, you had to wear a mask while walking, and I think they made all the aisleways one ways. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think it would have been pretty good. I guess, uh, you know, wearing a mask isn't a big deal anymore. I can't even imagine not wearing it now. I'm so used to having it on. So what was the uh, social distancing and what were the rules in place for the players? Um, so really the rules in place for the players was um, every single day we'd go in there. Once we got to the field, immediately we'd go into, like, an office or the other team would have someone sitting there waiting for us uh, to take our temperatures. Uh, basically just ask if we had any of uh, like a certain list of symptoms. Um, as long as we were clear from that, then we would have to wear a mask, like walking into the stadium. Um, it was encouraged for us to wear a mask, like actually in the locker room. Um, so I mean, Whenever, whenever it was anyone outside of just the team, so like other officials on the team or general manager, other people, um, we'd all have to wear a mask, especially in those situations when those people came around. Um, but we had to wear a mask the entire time while traveling. So uh, like 
on the bus and like getting onto the bus because it's really kind of impossible to to socially distance while being on a bus with 30 people yeah um but i mean those are the guys that you're around every single day um so like the bus driver would wear a mask and then the entire team would be in the mask uh during bus trips um but outside of that there weren't too many rules um for the players what was the longest bus trip you guys had to take uh definitely uh the trip down to san antonio uh that was probably took us about nine hours to get there wow um yeah like where i work i have to wear a mask the entire time like once you get out of the truck all the way into the plant the only time we're allowed to take them off is when we're eating you know, so we get a break like 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there and lunch. And uh, at first it was hard, but you kind of get used to it. It's not it's not too bad. Uh, so how many teams were there in the league? You said there was eight. Uh, I think there were. I think there were nine or ten. Um, they broke it up into two divisions. So there were two. I know one of them was five. I think the other was four or five. I'm not real positive. Okay. So how many games did y'all have to play? How long was the season? I think including the playoffs, we ended up playing uh, like 33, 34 games. Um, basically, the way that the league, like the way the schedule works was you played Tuesday through Sunday every day. Um, the Mondays were off days. Typically, those days would be like a travel day. Um, so, for example, when we went to San Antonio, we left on Monday morning, drove throughout the day on Monday, um, got there that night, and then we actually played on Tuesday. Hmm. So, was this uh, voluntary, or did you guys get paid for this? I know they probably wouldn't pay you much, but did they actually get paid for doing this? Yeah, so, like, we're not – I mean – Every single guy there is a college guy, so we're not allowed to be paid. Right. Um, but we are give we were given like per diem money on the road. So per diem, basically they would give us like like ten to fifteen dollars a day for meal money. Uh, whenever we go to road trips, um, at home they they paid for our hotel. Uh, hotel had free breakfast, and then they would um, they'd have food catered to the field. Um, so sometimes there'd be like sandwiches for us uh, before games, but then usually there was a pretty decent meal um, provided for us after the game. Oh, that's good. Now, I was going to ask you, how did you travel? But you already answered that uh, for the bus. But on your team, uh, as far as the championship goes, uh, who won the championship? And I mean, was it a three or a five or a seven game series? How did that happen? So the... Uh, um, the playoffs, the playoff schedule worked is so there were the top two teams from each division, uh, the North and the South division. Uh, they started off with a three game series. Um, so like in your own division. So we played the Tulsa drillers in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, we won game one and then ended up losing game two and three. So Tulsa went on to the, uh, Tulsa went on to the championship. And I can't actually remember who they played, but I know Tulsa lost. Um, wasn't 
Round Rock. <laughs> it's all right. I don't know either. Yeah, so once you're out, you're like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, once we were out, we were like, all right, we just want the team that beat us to lose. Right. That's usually <laughs> how I am. Okay, these guys beat us. I hope they lose in the next round. Uh, so yeah. how'd you do personally? <clears throat> personally, I did pretty well. Um, first outing, I went out there and just did not have a great, great day. Um, we were kind of working up, working up pitch counts. So started off because everyone hadn't been playing in a couple months. So started off, they really tried to kind of ease the arm into it. Um, first outing wasn't great. But by the end of the season, I started throwing real well. Uh, my last. My last regular season start was actually in San Antonio, uh, and I had a no-hitter for five uh, before it got broken up in the sixth inning, so I ended up giving up just one hit over six innings, mm. uh, like five strikeouts, and then my playoff start went, uh, went five innings, two earned runs, seven strikeouts, and we ended up getting the win in that one, uh, one four three. Uh, but the second half of the summer, I mean, once I, once I started to kind of get dialed, again, dialed in again and get back in the swing of things, start to do real well. So would you call it a successful season? Oh, absolutely. So the last time I talked to you, you had broken, I don't know if it was Hawaii or somewhere, you had broken the record for uh, saves in a season. So you used to be the closer. Are you leaning towards being a uh, starter at your new school? Yeah, so it was at Mesa Community College uh, at the single season and career saves record. Um, but kind of in the recruitment process when I was ended up talking to West Texas, um, they said that, I mean, they weren't real positive what they wanted me to do um, in terms of starting or leaving. Um, but that's kind of the general expectation that I had is that they wanted to at least test me out the starting role. Um, Got to be able to go in and uh, and kind of maintain, uh, like maintain the endurance to go that long. So that was kind of that was kind of part of the goal of this summer was to was to start getting that endurance back and start uh, seeing if I could transition it back into a starting role. So when you're uh, a starter in a game, I, I was kind of watching this the other day on some of these guys with the Astros. Uh, what is it like when you start getting tired? I know you don't want to come out, but you start losing uh, accuracy and speed. What's it like uh, as far as a pitcher, you know, when you're, you're just starting to wear out and you just don't want to come out of the game? What's that like? See, so for me, um, typically, typically I don't end up losing speed. The thing that will go for me a little bit is command. Um, usually it will start to – once I get tired, it's not necessarily the arm that gets tired. It's usually the rest of the body. Um, the legs will get tired because I've done a pretty good job of conditioning my arm mm-hmm. um, to where the arm's pretty capable of going as many pitches as I need it to. Uh, but once the legs start to get tired, um, that, that's when it really just kind of becomes more of a mental, a mental game. And it's a lot harder to to get through the fifth inning, even even if your stuff is like exactly the same, purely because your body's starting to get tired, and once you're wearing down, um, 
that's where the mental side of the game is way different as a starter as opposed to being a reliever. Um, as a reliever, it's like, all right, I got to go out there and give everything I have for 10 to 20 pitches. Yeah. And as a starter, you have to kind of kind of dial it back a little bit in the beginning. So you can't, you can't necessarily go in there and take it easy. Um, but you really have to pace yourself. You can't go out there and try to go 100% max effort every single pitch. Um, that's why you'll see guys like, uh, like Justin Verlander, for example. I think he's a great example of that. He is a guy that he's done such a good job of conditioning himself, himself that you'll see him in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning throwing harder than he was throwing in the first. Yeah, that's the example I was getting ready to bring up. You were you were talking about it, and I wrote that down. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like Justin Verlander's, you know, throwing 94, 95, and then right before he's done, the guys on the broadcast say, okay, he's emptying his tank because he knows that he's about done. Uh, another question I have for you that probably a lot of people are curious about, uh, what do the coaches tell you when they come out on mound visits? Like, what's some of the the coaching points they give you? Oh, I mean, that it really varies by by the situation. I mean, sometimes sometimes they'll tell you, like, um, sometimes they'll tell you, hey, you need to lock it in here. Or, um, they'll give you maybe a mechanical correction um, if there's something kind of obvious with it um, that, that, like, needs to happen then as opposed to them telling you, like, in the dugout between innings. Um, but sometimes I've actually had coaches when they come out to the mount, do mound visits that are basically just like, Hey, look, you're doing fine. We're having some trouble behind you. I'm just coming out here right now to give you a little bit of a breather. Mm-hmm. So kind of collect yourself again, go get dialed back in. Like you're not doing anything wrong. You're, I mean, you're getting ground balls, you're making good pitches. Um, just hasn't gone your way. Just coming out here to, to let you kind of get locked back in and focus back up. Do they ever just go out there and just tell you random things that have nothing to do with baseball? I've heard stories about that. They just go out and say something funny to just get you to relax. Uh, I mean, sometimes, I mean, it hasn't really happened to me a whole lot. I mean, because, I mean, the last probably five years of my career, I've been in a closing role. Um, So, I mean, I've been going in there kind of high adrenaline situations um, then this summer is my first time, my first time starting since 2016, 2015. Um, so, I mean, there weren't, there hasn't been a whole lot of opportunities for that to have happened yet. Okay. Um, I mean, I think I maybe only had three mountain visits the whole summer. So do you, did you hear of any like uh, scouts watching the games or anybody getting plucked out of that league? Cause I know like the Astros are just using, they're, they're, they're using people that weren't on the spring training roster. They're, they, their bullpen is just full of guys that have never even pitched over the a ball level. Uh, is, is anybody getting any attention out there? Um, so I know there were a lot of guys that got, got some looks. Um, I think there might've been a guy, I mean, a handful of guys that, that signed free agent deals, um, from playing out there this summer. Um, but I know that there were a lot of scouts there. Um, I mean, there are a handful of teams, like for example, the Tulsa drillers who 
So we ended up playing. They had probably six pitchers that threw 96 plus. Mm. Um, they had a freshman from Georgia Tech throwing like 98. Um, they had a kid that went to University of Florida that was throwing 101. Um, so th- there was definitely a ton of talented guys. So we had a lot of scouts out at games, um, especially with games being like in the minor league stadium. So, I mean, most of them had, most of them had like the radar guns up and like velocities displayed. Um, yeah, I mean, I know for a fact that there were a handful of scouts out there taking video, getting, getting velocities of people. Um, so even if it wasn't for the purpose of signing them right now, uh, at least got looks for the draft next year. Yeah, I actually uh, had no idea you were in this league, and so, I guess you had done something. You pitched a great game, and someone had tagged you. I don't know if it was your team or your coach. I don't know who did it, but that, that's how I messaged you and said, I didn't even know you were in this league. So I'm glad that you had a great season, and hopefully that gets some more attention Hopefully you have a great season at West Texas. You're getting ready to start back up over there practicing. Yeah, so uh, we actually just finished up with our first week of practice. All right. So anyway, I got a few things uh, on the fun side to ask you before I let you go. Um, number one, who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame more, Barry Bonds or Pete Rose? Who would you put in if you had the choice? Oh man, if I could only pick one or the other. Yep. Um, I I think. See, personally, I mean that's tough, but I think <laughs> I'd have to go Barry Bonds. Um, I personally believe that steroids or not, he's the greatest hitter of all time. I don't think that taking steroids, um, gives you the ability to hit 760 home runs. Um, like I know, I know if I, myself, I would never be a guy that used a performance enhancing drug, but if I took steroids, there's no chance I'd hit 760 home runs. And you <laughs> still have to have the ability and the talent to do that. Um, I think he's the best hitter ever. I had this conversation with somebody and it's actually like three of us in a conversation, and one guy was had the argument that you had, and the other guy was saying, well, there, with this extra strength that he had, maybe there's some balls that wouldn't have been home runs that were home runs. And uh, as far as for me, um, I would say Pete Rose. You've got someone in my mind, and I know it's weird coming from an Astros fan talking about cheating. But, you know, uh, steroids is a form of cheating in my mind. And Barry Bonds is a perfect example of someone that didn't need to do it. He, I mean, he shouldn't have done it. I wish he didn't do it. He was a Hall of Fame player without it. I don't know why he chose to do it. Uh, but Pete Rose, I mean, you know, he had a great season. I mean, not a great season, but a great career. Uh I think everything he did deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, he was just doing some gambling at the end. But I think I can forgive him gambling more than I can forgive someone using steroids. So I go with Pete Rose on that one. See, I'm personally, 
I'm personally in the the school of thought that what like necessarily the outside um, the outside factors shouldn't really matter as much as to who's in the Hall of Fame. I feel like the Hall of Fame is more of a museum and a tribute to, I mean, the history of the game of baseball. Whether whether people like it or not, Pete Rose is the all-time hit leader. Barry Bonds is the all-time home run leader. Both mm-hmm. those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Whether whether you want to consider it an asterisk or not because of their personal like characteristics, I think both of them are in part of the history of the game and two of the greatest to ever play. There's probably a lot of they're they're probably already in the Hall of Fame as far as uh, you know having uh, not statues but uh, displays you know different things like that. Uh, so I'm probably sure they're in there in some sort. They just don't have that induction part. But uh, I don't know. I just kind of thought, you know, when I think about Pete Rose, that uh, I have a feeling that they may let him in after he dies. And I think that would be horrible. You know, maybe they'll feel bad that he passed away. But, I mean, both of these guys, if you're going to eventually let him in, let him in. Let them know that they're in. You know what I'm saying? And if they both get in, I don't have a problem with either one of them. So that's just mm-hmm. my opinion, too. Because they they both deserve to be in there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Next one is the final one. Uh, if you could spend one day learning from any current Major League pitcher, who would you choose? I'd have to go Trevor Bauer. Um, just kind of the... All the different, I think he was maybe the smartest pitcher in the game. Um, just all the different training he does. Um, I also think he's kind of funny with some of his, some of his Twitter antics. Um, <laughs> but he, he would definitely be the guy that I chose. Yeah, this guy kind of rubs the uh, Astro fans uh, the wrong way. But yeah, he's he's a pretty big presence there on social media, and uh, he's passionate. You know, he threw that uh, ball over the center field fence last season. Um, not scared to talk trash. I know that. So not scared to put himself out there. Uh, all right, Jake. I appreciate you joining me today. Uh, thanks for sharing your story. And uh, you'll be at West Texas. What's the nickname at West Texas? Uh, it's the West Texas a and Buffaloes. The Buffaloes. All right. So let me know your schedule. If you come around the San Antonio area, maybe I'll get to go check you out. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.